We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, good morning, good morning. It's good to uh, gather together and um, just want to add my welcome along to Phil's to you. Um, I'm Chris and I get the pleasure of serving uh, in the church here by leading our leadership team and um, yeah I just love it when we gather together each week and during the week and um, so this morning uh, we're going to carry on our Joshua series and um, the Bible verses aren't going to appear on the screen today Um, so just to give you a heads up on that so if you'd like to borrow a Bible then stick your hand up in the air and one of these will arrive to you in your seat Uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8 so you can kind of scroll to it turn to it uh, now as well and um, just keep it up until it arrives it, it might be that your hand is up because you just don't own a bible and if that's a, if that's the case then you can keep this one you can have it as a free gift from us uh, it will bless you and do you good so we've been going through this book and it's an amazing historical book with like just great kind of military kind of exploits and events things that go on and it's also a prophetic book it's kind of it would have originally been heard as a preach Uh, people would have preached through the book of Joshua and you could apply that to your life and that's kind of what we're doing today and so there's things that we can take from it and chapter eight is really part b of chapter seven it's like comes as one and so I'm going to take the first my first point really is kind of is not going to be out of today's passage it's kind of like an overlap a linking point from um, chapter 7 into chapter 8. And then my next three points are all from the first two verses of the chapter. So when we're like 25 minutes in and you're thinking, flip, we've only done two verses, don't panic. Um, the last uh, point or so is kind of does the rest. So just to give you that heads up. So just in case you missed it, in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua um, and the people of God got a little puffed up they got proud they got a bit arrogant and having seen God do amazing miracles at Jericho and seeing the walls fall down what happened was that they then um, tried to invade a city called Ai that was full of about 12,000 people with just 3,000 men and uh, they were utterly defeated and God revealed to them that the the reason for their defeat was down to sin being in the camp and a guy called Achan basically uh, when they defeated Jericho they were told not to take any of the plunder but Achan did he kind of took a, a bits of gold and he hid them under his tent and because of because he didn't believe in the promises of God because his security he, he kind of based all his security for his future his hope in the gold rather than in God um, God reveals that that's why they were held back that's why they were defeated And so at the end of the chapter, Joshua has to deal with a sin. He's called by God to uh, kill Achan and uh, memorial stones are are raised over his his body. And um, what happens is that the relationship between the people and God is restored and God speaks to them again. And so as you step into chapter eight, God is now saying again, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. Let's go again. And I asked this question at the start of chapter 7, which was this. What kind of things do you think holds the church back from being all that it should be? We, 
we can all feel that way, that the church could do more, it could be better in, in the UK and across the world. And we saw that really unbelief was the root reason that can hold the church back the most. It ultimately is the thing that leads to pride, to arrogance, to presumption, to disobedience and to sin. And yet belief leads to the opposite, leads to God's obedience. We compared Achan and Rahab. And this week, a good question to ask might be, well, what, um, rather than what holds the church back, what enables the church to be all that it can be? And I believe the answer to that is understanding God's lavish grace. And so this morning is a great week for you to come along to because we're going to be talking about the grace of God. And that's all that chapter eight is about. And so uh, I've entitled today's talk, Walking in Grace. Uh, The whole series is walking in the promises of God. A key part of that is walking in grace. And so we're going to be talking about that. And it starts, you know what, the whole of the chapter starts and ends with God. It starts with God speaking to Joshua, encouraging him, saying, hey, yes, all that's happened, but I want to encourage you to be bold and courageous and step forward. And the middle of the chapter is about how they then go again to take AI, and, and this time they're victorious. And, and then the end of the chapter ends with all the people, um, all the, the whole nation of Israel, including um, some foreigners that live among them, men, women and children, all coming together at Mount Ebal, which is where um, God first promised Abraham the land, and they come together and they have a big worship celebration and they praise God. And so the whole chapter, it starts and ends with God. And do you know what? Grace does exactly the same. Walking in grace means knowing that it all starts and it all ends with God. It's all a gift of God. It all starts with him. And that's my first point. God's You know, God speaks to Joshua and the whole thing starts after sin has been atoned for. In chapter 7, Achan sinned. And when Achan sinned, it was as if the whole nation of Israel had sinned. Achan was like a representative of the whole nation of Israel and it held them back. But when Achan was killed, an atonement for his sin was made and it was as if the whole nation of Israel had now had their sin atoned for and they could press forward in the promise of God. So that once sin is atoned for, grace, God's grace is able to be enacted on the people. He's able to fill them again, encourage them again and, and encourage them to walk into the promised land. Do you know in life... We like to classify people in lots of different ways. Uh, Male, female, black, white, rich, poor. And we classify people in all sorts of different ways. But the Bible really classifies people in two different ways. It classifies you as, are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? It's a good question for you to answer this morning. Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? When Achan sinned, he represented all the people just like when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he represented all, the, all of mankind. And Achan was like a type of Adam. Achan's, when Achan's life was taken, the sin of the people is atoned for. And when he was killed, that's, that kind of represents a type of Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid for your sin. And so when you put your trust in Jesus, your sin has been atoned for. It's been dealt with and you can press on into the promises of God. You can walk in all that God calls you to. When you are in Christ, Adam is no longer your representative. And, you know, Adam was kind of covered in sin and shame. And no longer is that your representative. No, instead, Jesus and his righteousness and his joy and his peace, he is your representative. And it's as if... Your, like your sin has been atoned for by Jesus on the cross 
That's what it means to be in either an Adam or in Jesus. The New Testament says it like this in Romans chapter 5. It's an amazing chapter and it talks about how God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, whilst we were still in Adam, whilst we were still part of a fallen people, it was then that Christ died for us. And so it goes on, verse 18. Consequently, just as the one trespass, Adam's sin, resulted in condemnation of all people, so also the one righteous act, Jesus' Life and resurrection resulted in the justification and life for all people. It goes on, verse 19. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So that's why we can sing things like, this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. Because when you are in Jesus then it is as if you have never sinned. You are justified, just as if I had never sinned. You are brought into his presence and you are able to walk forward in the grace of God. And what does it take? It takes repenting and believing. Repenting of your sin, believing that Jesus paid the price. That's it. So for the people to walk in grace, their sin had to be atoned for. That's the same for you and for me. The question is, are you Adam or are you in Christ? During this week, Catherine, come up, Catherine. Catherine has just felt that God has been speaking to her, and she shared that with me yesterday. And I just said, you know what? As a link from my point one to point two, I'd love you to just come and share what you feel God is saying prophetically. Um, yeah, earlier this week, I just um, had a picture of, you know when you play hide-and-seek with uh, young children, sort of under five? They're not very um, good at it, because <laughs> you can often see them. And the reason is, is their joy is in being found. Their joy isn't in the hiding. Their joy is in the moment when you found them. But when kids get older, they love it more when you can't find them, when they've hidden in that most ridiculous place that you can't find them. And I feel that there is somebody here, or people here, that... Um, are in that position where they want to be found. They're in that toddler mindset. They want to be found. They want God to find them. They want God to reach out to them. But they're in. They're allowing their teenage or their worldly mentality to stop them from being found. And so they're continuing to be hidden. And God just wants to encourage you this morning. I'm here. I'm with open arms. There is no judgment. I want to find you. Open your heart to me. Great. So at the end of chapter 7, the people of God were... They'd, they'd blown it. They, they were kind of lost, humiliated. They're in shame when, as they've been defeated by AI. And then God says to Joshua at the start of chapter 8, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take, whole, take the whole army with you and go up and attack AI. For now I have delivered them into your hands. The king, his people, the city and the land. Do you know, point two is this, that walking in grace means that you get to go again. It means that you get a second chance. It means that um, even when you feel the shame and, the, and pain and you've gone through difficult chances and you feel like you want to hide and you, you don't want to be found, do you know what? Jesus comes to you and says, don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Be courage. We can go again. We can do this again. You know, grace, it means getting the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth chance. You know, and it might be that you've, you've, put, you've put off stepping out in God's, taking the next step in your walk with God because of past failure, because of past hurt, past hurt because of past fears, because maybe you, you took on the leadership of something and it just went terribly wrong. Or you stepped out to tell your friend about something and you just got humiliated. Or you, you did something and it just didn't quite go right. Do you know, in God's grace, there is freedom to fail. 
it might be that, you know, you kind of stepped out in some way and the reason why it didn't quite work out was because of your own sin. Even in that place, I believe that there's grace for you. And God can come and speak to you and say, hey, let's go again. Let's go again. You, you can know his approval this morning. It's so easy for us to be people where our approval is dependent on our success or our failure. And yet God says, no, I'll meet you exactly where you are. Let's go again. You are not accepted in this church because you've got your whole life sorted. Be easy to come along and, oh, I've got to make sure I look sharp, fit right. You know, I've got the kids are not, you know, behaving well. Do you know that's not your acceptance? Your acceptance is just because of who you are. Because Jesus accepts you, therefore we accept you. And so, yes, there might be all sorts of things going wrong. There might be hurt in the marriage. There might be struggle with the teenagers. There might be struggle with the finances or the resources or struggling with your sexuality, struggle with all sorts of different things. And yet God says, I accept you. And, you know, we say we accept you. You can, you can come and you can be a part of us because ultimately all of us are broken people. All of us are hurting. All of us are, are trying to work our way through this life. And God says, hey, let's go again. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Let's go again. You know, Jonah's disobedience, it, it had consequences. He ended up being swallowed by a fish and he was in the belly of that fish for three days. And yet the word of the Lord, it says it came to him a second time. Hey, you can go again. Let's go again, Jonah. Don't let the fear or failure put you off. Even when sin is involved in that failure, God's grace is sufficient for you. And you can come back to him. You can come into his presence. And do you know, you might say, oh, but my credentials are just shot to pieces. And oh, but I've got this shame. And do you know what? When you're in Jesus, your sin is atoned for. Amen. Amen? Your sin is atoned for. And you can go again. So the next bit says this, verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except this time you're allowed to carry off the plunder and the livestock's all for yourselves. It's just like an outrageous irony that Achan was punished because he nicked the plunder and he hid it in his tent. And if he'd have just waited a few chapters, I don't know how long that period was, that he would be able to keep the stuff. And we talked about last time, it wasn't about the stuff, it was about walking in relationship with God. And there's two things I want to pull out of this. Walking in grace, the first one is this. Walking in grace means that knowing that God wants your devotion and not your rule-keeping. It's not about the stuff. If only Achan had just waited, then he could keep the stuff and he could keep it legitimately. And um, God wants, he wants your devotion. He doesn't want your rule keeping. Uh, Hosea 6 says this, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want all the religious hubjub of ticking boxes. Actually, no, I, I desire mercy. And he goes on, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This is Hosea talking to all the religious people of his day. Do you know, what, what would that mean for us? It's really easy in our lives to think, what are the rules? You know, if you, especially if you're a parent here today. What are the rules around Halloween? Do we make the pumpkin? Do we not make the pumpkin? Do we make the pumpkin and put a cross on it? Do we dress our kids up as a scarecrow, but not as a witch? Do we just not do Halloween? We just say, no, Halloween's banned. But we'll just sit at home instead and watch things like Frozen, which has got all sorts of witchcraft in it. We watch Sleeping Beauty, it's got magic in it. We might watch, I don't know, Beauty and the Beast. Any Disney film, basically it's Moana. It's all got all sorts of stuff in it. And where do you draw the line? And we, and we think, well, where's the, where's the rule-keeping box? Uh, sometimes 
Scantily clad women in Strictly Come Dancing, tick, that's okay. Scantily clad women in Love Island, oh no, that's bad. And where's the, where's, where's the line? Do you know, there's so much grey, and I believe that God doesn't want your rule-keeping, tick-boxing, fictional, bookkeeping lifestyle. What he wants is your devotion. He wants you to walk with him, walk with him in relationship with him. Grace is all about that. It's about being devoted and walking with him. And it's easy to think that, it's, it's easy, if you go down a rule box ticking exercise, what happens is you either get puffed up and you look down on other people because they're not keeping your fictional rules, or you just get defeated if you think, oh, I can't, I can't fit in. I can't, you know, I'm going through all sorts of stuff and I, I can't possibly match up to what everyone else seems to look like. And do you know what? I think God wants to get rid of it all. It's exactly what Jesus did when he came. He just, just, just get rid of it. And people would come to him and say, well, how many times should I forgive my, my uh, friend? One, two, three times? And he's like, no, like 77 times. You should continue to give him because it's about your relationship with God. And just as God has forgiven you, you need to forgive others. It doesn't matter how many times they um, hurt you. And do you know what? The reason why I think this is so important, and it's important in Surrey, and it's important in our church, is because it's so easy to try to you know, live our lives with ticking all these boxes and it can cut, we can cast judgment on others. And do you know, we're called to bring hope to people. And what that means is that when someone is going through a divorce, then they can have hope. They can come into our church and be, oh, there's hope here. It means that when the 20-year-old is struggling with sexuality, they can be, oh, no, I can come and I can be accepted there and I can, I can learn to know Jesus. And it's not about this rule-keeping. Actually, I can come into God's presence and allow the Holy Spirit to transform and change my life. It means that when people are struggling with their, their teenagers and wondering, oh, I can't get them along to church and this is really hard. Do you know what? It's, well, it doesn't mean that they're shut off from church. No, it means they can still come and they can enjoy God's presence and God's grace because he's a gracious God. God and he's loving and he wants to walk the journey with you. It means that when um, the, the girl or the boy has, has you know, gone through and horrend- like, you know, had to struggle with a- abortion and they, there's no hope and they can come into the church and be hey, there's hope here because I can be accepted and I can be welcomed into, this pres- into the presence of these people because I know that God accepts me and so do they. Isn't that wonderful? Micah, he says this, what, with, what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal being, it says. He has shown you what is good through the Holy Spirit. What does the Lord require? It requires you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God so key walking in the grace of God is walking in relationship with him Jesus put it like this it's all of the law of the prophets is summed up love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and spirit and love your neighbor as yourself that's what we're called to do we're called to be a grace people walking in grace means knowing that God wants your devotion not your tick box rule keeping and what that means is that when you present your life to people they don't see you don't say hey be like me and follow all the rules your story is hey come to Jesus and be saved by grace come and know him come and be accepted and allow him and his holy spirit to transform you and to change you and do you know what it means that everyone's journey is at different stages 
And, you know, some, you might be dealing with something and someone else might be dealing with something else, and that's okay. And we, we've got grace for each other and we help each other and we encourage each other on our journeys. We don't look down on people and say, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that because I'm doing it. I've got this sorted. Why haven't you got that sorted? No, we don't do that because that's not grace. The second thing about that verse is this, that do you know what? God's grace always exceeds your greed. It always exceeds your greed. The root of, the most, of most sin is putting yourself and your own interests first. And instead of what God wants and what, what brings him glory, you put yourself first. And that's exactly what Achan did in the previous chapter. And so it's just, it's just such an irony that this time it's like, hey, you can keep the plunder. It's not about, you can, you can have it all. Because God's lavish and he's like, hey, you can have, I, don't, I don't need the gold, I don't need the trinkets. You can have it. And you know what the lie of the devil is that if you put yourself first, that you will be more happy or more fulfilled or more successful, and it's a lie. God's grace exceeds your greed. And so if you think, well, I'm going to be richer if I cheat on my finances, it's a lie. You've sold a lie. If you think I'm going to be more sexually fulfilled if I have an affair or look at porn, it's a lie. If you think, oh, I'm going to be more financially secure if I prioritise work at the detriment of my family, it's a lie. If you think that refusing to bring your pains and your hurts to God uh, because he doesn't understand it or he doesn't know about it um, is, is the best thing to do, it's a lie. He encourages you to come to him. It's all a lie. Whatever you desire outside of God, it can always be bettered inside God, in Jesus, in his grace. You can keep the plunder, he says. He's a lavish God. Um, grace, another way of saying grace is like God's riches at Christ's expense. It's his riches. He's got amazing riches. He, he's got more than you can imagine, and it's all at Christ's expense. And when you're in Christ, you can know them. You can walk forward in grace, and you can know his love and his grace in your life. We're going to carry on. Verse 2 says this. Take the whole army. So God says, he gives two instructions. Take the whole army and set an ambush behind the city. And then he carries on. So Joshua, verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. I'm going to read quite a bit now. Moved out to attack Ai. He chose, by the way, your, your Bible translations might say, like the destruction of Ai. Um, young people, don't panic. It's not the destruction of artificial intelligence. It really is just, just the city. That's oh, a rubbish joke. Let's carry on. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and he sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on alert. I and all, oh sorry, I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men came out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand when you have taken the city. Set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, uh, which is the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people Here's a little map. So they started off in Shittim, which is uh, not in the Promised Land, in the wilderness. And as they uh, progress through, through chapters 1 to 5, they get into Jericho, they defeat Jericho, and now they're going up to Ai, and the star is where uh, that city is captured. And they're kind of um, 
up in that area during this passage. And the next few verses tell us how at night Joshua gets 30,000 men. So instead of 3,000 this time, last time they took 3,000, he's like 10 times as many. Uh, Joshua gets 30,000 men. He goes up to the city. They kind of, they lay in ambush. I don't know how he managed, it's at night. I don't know how he managed to get 30,000 men at night up in silence in this ambush without anyone in the city knowing, but he manages it. And um, just like before, what happens is he gets a few of them, maybe 5,000, to um, in the morning to go and pretend like they're attacking AI. So that as, they, as the people in AI see them, they come out and think, oh, they tried this before, we're going to go and defeat them. They then pretend to run away to, to leave the city and then the people in AI chase them. And so what happens then, the other 25,000 basically ambush and take hold of AI because it's left unintended. And so then in verse 18, it says this, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward AI the javelin. It's like a stick that is in your hand. For into your hand, I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city, the javelin that was in his hand. And as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and they rushed forward. They entered into the city, they captured it and they set it all alight. The men of Ai looked back and they, they saw the smoke rising up from the city into the sky. But they had no chance to escape in any direction because the Israelites that had been fleeing, fleeing into the wilderness turned around and started pursuing them. And the people from um, Joshua turned and they started attacking them on all sides. Those in the ambush, they came out um, from the city and so they were in the middle of both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Just going to pause there. Uh, got, so of the six, this is number five. God's grace always exceeds our expectations. This is an amazing military win. There's been numerous books written about this strategy that um, Joshua uh, initiated here in defeating AI. And walking in the promises of God and walking in grace means knowing that we are involved in the action. It means we are part of the plan. And it's what happens in this passage is a bit like a God me God sandwich God at the start gives Joshua two instructions to set an ambush and to take all the men and then but that's really the only instructions that are given then what happens is that Joshua having heard the call from God is now encouraged to take a step and so Joshua, he makes a plan. He tells the people the plan. He then enacts the plan. He encourages them and he starts walking through the plan. And then in verse 18, we heard again that God is back on the scene and God um, encourages Joshua to hold out the stick. Just like Moses had done before at the parting of the Red Sea, uh, Joshua is now called to hold out the stick. And Joshua, it's like an act of prayer. It's an act of God, like... You're, we're with you in this and you're with us and uh, we know that the battle is yours and, and yet we're, we're part of the action. You know, so often I meet Christians that do one or the other. They either, it's all about me, make my plan, I'm going to press for my plan and forget God, or it's all about God and it's like they kind of over-spiritualise everything and you say, oh, how are you getting on with that thing or that thing? Oh, well, I'm just praying. I'm waiting for God to speak. And what they're kind of doing is hoping that God will just part the waves and, and just make it all happen whilst they just sit back and do nothing. Do you know what grace means? Being involved in the action. And when we're involved, his grace always exceeds our expectations. 
Joshua in this passage is reminding us right back to verse 1 where God says, I want you to step into the land and every place you tread your foot, I'm going to give it to you. And it's both God encouraging and us acting together. And as we step, God then reveals. And it's like this is shown in this passage that God is, is encouraging, hey, you need to go. But Joshua's got to take a big step. He's got to make a plan. He's got to, you know, work out how to do it. He's got to encourage the troops. He's got to get them all together. And, and, and then, and whilst he's doing it, he's holding out the stick in prayer. He's saying, Holy Spirit, come and be with us, come and fill us. He's not using those words, but he's, he's doing it in prayer. And so do you know what? We need to be like Joshua. We need to do a God, me, God sandwich. So how do you know what God is saying? Well, it's in the book. It's in the Bible. You might have heard the word from the Lord through prophecy and all sorts of different things, but most of us don't always get clear, really prophetic words, this is what you're called to do. Most of us, what we're called to do is do what's in the book. What's in the book is to build the church. What's in the book is to forgive uh, those uh, that need forgiving. What's in the book is to love others. It's to, it's to give money to the church. It's to serve in the church. It's to help to see the church grow and build. It's to love the poor. It's to give to the poor. It's to serve people in our community. You know, you can spend your whole lifetime doing that, and that's not a life wasted. That's a good thing to do. And yet, God gives you free will to enact that plan. You can choose where to live. You can choose how much to give. You can choose in what areas to serve. You can choose um, all sorts of different things in your life. And whilst you do it, he encourages us to pray, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us, to, to walk through with it together. And so if it's not in the book, don't do it. If it is in the book, do it and actually do it. Make a step of faith. Sometimes that means taking a, a tread which God hasn't revealed to you yet. Sometimes that means taking that step first. There's so many times throughout this book where they have to take a step first and then the waters pass. They take a step first and then he gives them the land. I wonder, where is God calling you to take a step? Or where has he called you to take a step and you've shied away and you felt, oh, I can't do that because he hasn't seemed to have laid it all out for me. Great. God's grace means we're involved in the action. He, he works with us. He's not just a God on, a, I don't know, stage saying oh this is this is what happens no he's he's walking side by side with you as you step he steps with you and he's with you and you can be bold and courageous as you do it lastly point six the covenant is renewed at mount ebal so the last few verses they tell us about how the altar is built and um, in verse 32 it says there in the presence of the israelites joshua wrote on stones a copy of all the law of moses all the Israelites with their elders, officials, judges that were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native born were there. In verse 35 it says this, There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including to the women, the children and the foreigners who lives among them. Point six is grace. God's grace always ends in glory. It always ends in glory. And this is an amazing picture of where you've, you've got all that's gone on. They're walking in God's grace. And at the end of it, you've got different tribes, different languages, different people from different nations. You've got men, women, children, all sorts of different people gathered together, worshipping the living God, hearing the law being read out. And that place where they are called to, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, is the place where God first called Abraham. He called Abraham to leave where he was living to, to go and go to a place that he's calling him to. And when Abraham got to this place, 
God spoke to him and said, this is the land I'm going to give you. Later on, Jacob, uh, in Genesis 33, uh, calls it Shechem, but this is the same area. Jacob goes there and Jacob meets with God. Um, Moses speaks to the um, Israelites through Deuteronomy I think it's 27 and he says to them when you go into the land what you need to do is you need to go to this place and I want you to write um, the law on tablets of stone and I want you to preach the word and it's only now in chapter 8 that they have got to this point and this area is right in the middle of the promised land and this is a place of promises and do you know what what Joshua is doing he's coming he's declaring to everyone God is a God who keeps his promises And as we walk together, as we come to this place of promises, they would have thought back and looked at how God spoke to Abraham, that first promise, and how he spoke again to Jacob and how he encouraged Moses to speak to them. And now they're there, they're in this place and they're declaring, hey, God is a God who keeps his promises. And do you know what? It's all a picture of when Jesus is going to return. When every tribe, every language, every tongue, men, women and children, all people that are in Christ and put their trust in Jesus will all be gathered together in God's glory, worshipping the Lamb, saying, worthy are you to be praised. Walking in grace, it means knowing that you're saved by grace, that Jesus has made atonement for your sin. It means going again. It means knowing there's freedom to fail and God encourages, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged, let's go again. It means knowing that God wants your devotion and not your rule keeping, this fictitious law that you've made up. He wants you to walk in relationship with him and talk to him and have that relationship. It means knowing that or understanding that God's grace always exceeds your greed, that it can all be bettered in God's kingdom. It means knowing that his grace exceeds your expectations and we're called to live lives in that God, me, God sandwich and walking with him the whole way. And grace ends in a glorious day where anyone from every tribe, from every race, from any culture can come together and worship the living God. And do you know what? When we see a church living in grace, walking in grace, walking in the promises of God, you'll see a light shining in the darkness. You'll see lives change and transform. You would see all sorts of people overcoming all sorts of hurt and shame. And that's what we're building here in Centrepoint Church. A church that brings hope to our community. Amen? Let's get the band back up, shall we? Um, good. Oh, we're doing all right for time. Hey. We're going to get the band back up. And what I'd love us to do is, I just want to ask you a question. I wonder, what does walking in grace look like for you? What, you know, we've been talking about this journey, walking in the promises of God. What is your next step? Where, where in, there's six different points I've pulled out today from that passage. What is the next step do you need to take? Is that you need, to, you need to just be free from fear and walk in faith again? Is there something that's been holding you back and you're like, God, I, I want to give this to you? Do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that word that came earlier, free fill? Is there um, just a trust? Is there some things maybe that you need to lay down, you need to lay aside because you've been putting all your hopes and your fears in something that's anything other than God? Is there, is there sin that you need to lay aside? Do you need to come back into God's presence knowing that he wants to you to be devoted to him I don't know what that is but I'm going to give you space to do business with God so let's all stand together shall we just whilst you're you're standing why don't you just just take a moment very hot before God you know for every single person here, there'll be something different. Some of you might be 
Lord, help me to know you are real. This grace that we've been hearing about, this sin that, my sin that can be atoned for, Lord, I want that today. You know, you can pray and you can invite God into your life. It might be that you know that, but you've forgotten it. And some of the things that we've been talking about, you just need to press in again. Just take 30 seconds. Just, just pray. joy, more love, more freedom to be found in you than anywhere else where. Thank you, Jesus, that better is a thousand, it is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord God, I pray, help us to be a people of God that walk by grace. That know all that it means to, to walk in the promises of God, to trust you, to put you first, to be a people that are devoted to you, being willing to listen to you and to hear you and, and then take steps of faith. Help us, Lord, even when it looks scary, even when it seems hard, Lord, help us to be people that take steps in you of faith. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us. Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.